So, all right. Lots of times when it comes to uh, public speaking, people have this fear, they have this natural fear of public speaking. And so yesterday I got to experience that firsthand. <laughs> we're, we're going through this uh, series on the gospel for real life. And we just got done going through culture, which is, uh, you know, how we really, you know, talk to the people around us. We spent two weeks on going through the city, gospel in the city, and so Paul asked me to preach on gospel in the country, so I'm thinking small, big, or large, the nation. And so Mickey and I are out driving yesterday, and we're up in Gilmington, uh, New Hampshire, which is uh, quite a ways up there. And uh, we're both from the Midwest. I grew up in the country, you know, the rural area. Mickey did, did as well. And she said, oh, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow's message on the country. You know, growing up in the country in Iowa, and, you know, what's the difference between living in the country and living in the city? And I had this sheer panic. <laughs> I'm like, because that's not what I'm preaching on. It's got nothing to do with rural versus, versus city. And so I get home, and, you know, there's, it's really too late to, to change the message yesterday. And so I start going through these emails that Paul sent me. I'm like, oh, did I make the mistake? Because he talked about 50% of the people live in the city, right? Which means 50% of the people live in the country. I'm like, oh, no, did I totally misunderstand what he was trying to do? So originally when we were talking about it, he suggested one passage, Romans 13. Just as a, just we were talking, we're going through, he's like, yeah, so maybe, you know, Romans 13 would be a place to start at. So there's different ways to do a sermon. One is you can do a broad overview, or one is you can be very, very specific and just basically answer one question. And so he said, yeah, maybe you can do just like the Romans 13 as a part. So I took that, I'm like, okay, Romans 13, I'm doing it, that's where I'm going. And never looked at any of the other emails or read through. And I found out that was just like, just one suggestion. He had several that were, that were gone out. So, so then I'm like, well, maybe I didn't get the country thing right. And then maybe I didn't get that broad overview thing right. Because we're not doing a broad overview. overview. We're only answering one specific question this, this morning. And so what we're going to look at is, the question that we're going to answer is, is how do we relate to the authority of the government the way God wants us to? So it's only one thing. And I realize that this whole series has been kind of a broad overview. So uh, one of the passages that he talked about was, was First Peter that he suggested. And so Romans 13, you know, 1 through 10, well, 1 through 7, and then the 8, 9, and 10, or however the divided, uh, really just talks about one specific thing. Where the First Peter passage is almost like these bullet points where Peter's giving us this broad overview of how we do it. And just listen to the way he writes, just like the, the last... Uh, verse, it says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so he goes through, just like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, which would have given us a broad overview. So that was the other reason for the fear of public speaking, was just the fear that it's like, maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. But with all that said, this is one of the passages that he said, we're going to look at country, we're going to only answer one specific question. So you know what we're doing this morning? We're going to answer the question, how do we relate to the authority of the government, the way that God wants us to relate this way. So, how are we going to do this? We have an overhead. Oh, we are, it's already up there. Be subject to those in authority by submitting to their authority, not fearing their authority, knowing when it is right to disobey, knowing when it is right to disobey authority. Honor those in authority. Pray for those in authority. Remember the gospel when it comes to authority. So, we're going to go specific. Narrow, but we're going to go deep. We're really going to kind of explore what, this, what the text has to say about this. So let's go ahead and read uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 10. 
It says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to, him, to whom honor is owed. Owe nothing Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, and... Uh, we come before God who is sovereign, Lord. We come to a church, O oh Lord, whose desire is to preach your word, whose desire is to allow your Holy Spirit to work. And so this morning, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will work among us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we will hear what it is that you have to hear, Lord. And Lord, you want us to hear this morning, you want us to go into depth this morning about this authority piece, Lord, as it ties to our country, to our government, and to us as citizens. So Lord, we pray that you'll be with us this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. Number one, be subject to authority because God has put authority into place. Our country is one that is based on authority. We have authority and we have laws that are in place. And we have people in place who enforce this authority. And we have places to go when a crime is committed against us. And we also have uh, social programs as well. So we have programs for those who are out of work or who don't have enough uh, money for food and things, you know, basic necessities. And we have medical programs that are in place so that everyone can get some basic medical care. We have social security to help us in old age. And so our, company, our country is maintained through these different laws and through these different programs. Can you imagine what it would be like if we didn't have any of these laws in place? Or we didn't have anybody to enforce these laws? What would it be like just driving down the road when you come to that intersection that has that red light right now and people that are afraid that if they go through that, they're going to get pulled over and get a ticket? What's that going to be like? Especially like in the, in the city during Russia when everyone is trying to, when everyone is trying to get home. And imagine what it was like if there was, there was no laws against stealing. There was no, no one to enforce those laws. And so if people saw something they want, they would, just, they would just take it. It would be anarchy. And so 
In the Old Testament, when we look at the book of Judges, if you read the last verse of Judges, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the Bible gives us a picture of what that's like when people are just doing whatever they want, when there's no king in place. And so what happens in that time is if you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how they yanked the guy off the street and said it's not safe for you to be out there, in Judges the same story happens. It's almost word for word, except the ending is different. What stopped in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the book of Judges, in Israel, it continued to go forth. And so the people, when they reflect it, they say such a thing has never happened or been, even been seen among the people of Israel from the day that we left Egypt until this day. It was a horrible time when everyone just did as they saw fit, when everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. But so God sets up these, these authorities to run these countries, to run our country, and God tells us to be subject to those authorities. And he tells us why to be subject to those authorities. He says, we should be subject to those authority because there is no authority except from God. There is no authority that exists that God did not put into place. There is no one in authority except those who God has placed into authority. So just stop and think about that. All the people that we know who are in positions of authority or who have been in positions of authority. See, there is no law that God did not put into place. There's no office that God did not put into place. There's no one in authority that God didn't put into place, which means that there's no president. There's no vice president. There's no governor that God didn't put there. There's no chief of police. There's no sheriff. There's no cop that God did not put into that position of authority. There's no principal. There's no teacher. There's no assistant that God did not put into place. God made these authorities. God made these laws. God put these people who were there. And he says, if you resist that authority, then you resist God himself because God has placed that authority. You cannot resist that authority without resisting God. Do you really think that you can stand against what God has put into place? But what do, what do we do when it comes to authority? So often we rebel, right? And we look at the people who are in authority and we say, we know better than what they do. And lots of times we might. Oftentimes we probably do know better. And sometimes we think that their way of things doing is stupid. And sometimes it might be stupid. And sometimes we think that we have a better way of doing it. And we might have a better way of doing it. But God doesn't tell us to obey authority if they're smarter or only when they're better, or only when they know how to do it better. He says, obey authority because I have put them into authority. Because all authority is from me. And when we rebel against authority, we rebel against God. You know, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 20 says this. It says, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. In this passage, it's really the same thing. God's saying, if you can't be subject to the governing authorities that you can see, how can you be subject to God who you cannot see? 
If you cannot humble yourself in front of the authorities that you can see, how can you humble yourself before God who you cannot see? And so that's one of the reasons why we teach our children to obey authority. We teach them to, be, to obey authority, not just to make our lives easier, but to teach them how to submit to God. Because if, if they don't submit to our authority, if they don't submit to our rules who they can see, how can they submit to God and to his rules who they can't see? If they can't humble themselves before us, how can they humble themselves before God who they don't see? How can they say to God, your will be done and not mine? When they can't say to their parents, your will be done and not mine. So we need to teach our children to obey authority so that they learn to obey God. So what do we do when we find ourselves rebelling against authority or disobeying those who are in authority above us? One of the things that we need to do is we need to see that this is sin. And see, God calls us to confess our sins. God calls us to submit uh, to him. And the gospel states that if we are sinners, if we sin, we confess ourselves to him. And he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins. We will no longer be condemned because God forgives us, makes us clean, makes us righteous. Um. Are you guys with me on this? <laughs> I just want to ask because I realize that of all the subjects to talk about, it just seems one sometimes that doesn't really apply to us. And it just kind of seems that way. And, you know, it's, you know, this is the subject that we're talking about, governmental authority. And it seems like the only worst possible time to talk about this would have been like after like a great big Sunday lunch, right? <laughs> when everyone's sleeping and stuff. So, I want you guys to see that this is important, that this is, that this is big stuff that's going on here because God's put this authority into our lives. And so often we rebel against this authority, and we do it in so many little different ways, but we don't even realize it. We don't even often even take it, take it seriously. And yet we must take this seriously because it's God who put it in place. It's God's authority. And, you know, God's authority exists now. God's authority exists in heaven. It isn't anything that's going to be like, oh, well, that was on earth, right? But God is king of kings. God is lord of lords and will be for all eternity. So this stuff matters now, and this stuff matters in eternity. This stuff always matters. So, with that said, God tells us not to fear authority. And doesn't it seem like it's natural to fear authority? Right? It's like getting called into the principal's office. It's like, okay, you gotta go to the principal's office, right? Right away we panic. I have I have that like if my boss says, Oh, you know, I gotta go in here. It's like I I I've know of nothing I did wrong, but that instant like fear that comes over me, right? And so you get that sudden sinking feeling, you get that little pit in your stomach, it's like, oh no, I'm being called into the into the principal's office. That that fear seems to be kind of like that. Or it'll happen you'll be driving down the road, right? Just probably doing the speed limit and everything else, and you'll pass by a cop who's, you know, sitting perpendicular to it. You go by him, and he, and he turns in right behind you, right? What's the first thing you do? First thing you do is you slow down, right? Actually, the first thing you do is probably just like, oh, no, you know, put two hands on the wheels, you know, 10 and 2, you, do, <laughs> you panic, and you start to slow down. Uh, or if you're like me, which Mickey uh, never ceases to laugh at, as soon as I see that, I'm like, oh, no, and I jam on the brakes to slow down, so the car goes like this. <laughs> And she's like, well, now he knows you're speeding, right? 
<laughs> it's like absolutely clear, right? But it's what we do, and we have that, we have that instant, that instant, you know, kind of panic type thing that we're in there. Why is this? Why are we always like this? Part of it because we're sinners, right? We always sin. And in this case, we're probably always going a little bit over the speed limit. But we, we have this sin, and we know that we did wrong. And in the back of our mind, in our consciences, it's always there. And we realize, like it says in verse 3 and 4, it says, authorities are a terror to those who do wrong. If you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword of vain. He is the avenger who carries out God's wrath. We are to be afraid because if we do wrong, he is there to carry out God's justice. He is there to punish us. He is a servant of God who is avenging God's wrath upon us. So, I, and I included Mickey in this, just went through six days of fearing authority. So in New Hampshire, once a year you have to get your car registered and inspected. And they give you a month to do it. And if that's not enough, they give you an extra 10 days to do it. So Mickey's car needed to be registered and inspected in February. And they give me till March 10th to do it. So Friday afternoon, March 8th, when the town offices are closed, I realized I hadn't done this. <laughs> so, I mean, I had seen it before, and I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, which means the earliest I'm in there is March 11th in the morning, getting it done. After that, I now have to take it to the shop to get it inspected. If there's anything wrong in it, now I have to get it fixed, and this all has to be done by Sunday, and I'm getting in there until Monday. So I go in there Monday, I go into the uh, register, I give her the, you know, the check, she gives me the thing, and she says, you know, you're late, right? And you know that if you're, you know... You can get pulled over, you can get a ticket. And so, my first thought that went through my head is, I ah, don't worry about it, it's my wife's car. <laughs> but she didn't appear to be the joking type, and the police station is right next door, and she probably has friends over there, I'm like, uh, I'll just let that joke go. <laughs> That's just for myself. <laughs> but so, I get home from doing that, and I call up the shop, I'm like, look, is there any way that you can squeeze me in? It was, you know, gave him the whole sob store and stuff like that. He's like, I got three lifts, I got three mechanics, I got three broken cars. <laughs> he says, there's no way I'm getting you in until Wednesday. Well, now Wednesday's the 13th. And I want to go to this guy because if there's anything wrong, I want him to be the one to fix the car. And so now I'm like the 13th. But I disobeyed authority. And I sinned in there. And you know what else I did? I brought Mickey in. Because it's Mickey who's driving the car, right? And so I give her the whole story. I'm like, okay, here's what happens. You're going to be driving on the road, right? Sirens are going to go on. You're probably going to pull the... <laughs> Not really what I said. I said, if you get pulled over, say this. And I give her the line, right? So we realize it. My husband made a mistake. We have an appointment. It's Wednesday at 10. We're going to drop it off Tuesday night. You know, so that's the latest that we'll, you know, drive the car. And, you know, that'll be it. Now, fortunately, she didn't get um, picked up at all. But you see how I disobeyed authority. I sinned. I now drag my wife into the same disobedience. She is now fearing authority for six days. Because we did what was wrong. And so we know that they're a servant of God. We know that they're there to punish us if we see that those that we're not obeying it. So how does God say we're supposed to deal with this fear of authority? How are we supposed to live? Because he says, do not fear authority. And he tells us what we can do to not fear authority. And 
In some ways, this almost sounds like everything I needed to know I learned from kindergarten because it's so basic, but our obedience is much harder than the understanding of what he's saying. But here's what he says, do what's right. <laughs> if you don't want to fear authority, do what is right. Would you want, or he says, would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. We are to do right. And if we don't do right, that's when we get that fear in there. I'm reminded of the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills his brother. And now he's angry and he's downcast and God comes up to him. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. If we do well, we won't have to fear authority. And so... We, um, we know, basically, if we do right, we don't have to fear authority. Now, we know that there is some corrupt authority, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But Peter addresses some of this, and he says, Servants, be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. For it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjust. Um, unjustly. But the general rule is if you do good that you will be accepted. And he goes further in that passage in those last three verses and talks about how you fulfill the law because if we fulfill the law we won't be condemned for breaking the law. And in essence he says that the entire law can be summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore the law is or love is fulfilling of the law. We are to love our neighbors. And it's that it's that golden rule, as they say, right? And we are to do unto others as we want them to do unto them. That's loving your neighbor. If you do that, you won't be breaking these, breaking these laws. So we kind of said that there are some unjust things and that authority has been put into place to protect us. That's why it's there in the first place, to protect us. So what happens if the person in position is abusing is God-given authority? What happens if the government itself is abusing their God-given authority? Is there ever a time when we take a stand and is there ever a time when we disobey that authority? The answer to both is yes. There is. It's very specific, however. But in our country, as far as taking a stand, there's many things that we have in place currently if we see different things happening. So, number one is just plain voting, right? We have the we have the, the, the ability to vote people into and out of office. And so if we see someone who's going against God's standard, over and over, one of the courses that we have is through the voting policy. If it's, um, and there's also other legal things that go through to the point where presidents can be removed from office. We have President Nixon who was removed from office because of what he was, what he was doing. And so we can see that, that there are systems in place for that to work. The other thing is that if it's closer to home, right, we can go to the law. We can go to the police. We can go, we have local police, and if we need to, if that doesn't take care of it, we can go to the state police on top of it, who, has, who would have a different authority. And we also have federal um, um, things that are in place, the Fed, FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, right? So there's federal programs. It's a hard word to say. But 
if those don't work, right, and if we're faced with a situation, uh, a different situation, is there ever a time to disobey that authority? And so we have an overhead for this, and this is a guy named John Stott. I actually have three overheads because these guys uh, said this so well, how they addressed this uh, situation. It says this. Granted that the authority of rulers is derived from God, what happens if they abuse it? If they reverse their God-given duty, commending those who do evil and punishing those who do good, does the requirement to submit still stand in such a morally perverse situation? No. The principle is clear. We are to submit right up to the point where obedience to the state would entail disobedience to God. But if the state commands what God forbids, or forbids what God commands, then our plain Christian duty is to resist, not to submit, to disobey the state in order to obey God. As Peter and the other apostles put it in the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than men. This is the strict meaning of civil disobedience, namely, disobeying a particular human law because it is contrary to God's law. R. Kent Hughes gives us three ways more succinctly how to do this. He says, a Christian must disobey his government when it asks him to violate a commandment of God, commit an immoral or an unethical act, or to go against his Christian conscience. And he describes his Christian conscience as a conscience which is informed by Scripture and is in submission to the Spirit of God. So this disobeying of authority has a place but it should be rare. And this is a place where what you're asked to do is clearly defined as going against what God has commanded you to do. So John Stott goes on and gives us some examples of this. And so he says there are notable examples in Scripture. When Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys, they refused to obey. The midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them, but they let the boys live. When King Nebuchadnezzar issued an edict that all his subjects must fall down and worship his golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to obey. When King Darius made a decree that for 30 days nobody should pray to any god or man except himself, Daniel refused to obey. When the Sanhedrin banned preaching in the name of Jesus, the apostles refused to obey. All of these were heroic refusals in spite of the threats which accompanied the edicts. In each case, civil disobedience involved very great personal risk, including the possible loss of life. In each case, his purpose was to demonstrate their submissiveness to God and not their defiance of government. Did you catch that last part? Because this is what it all hinges on. The whole purpose of them disobeying was to demonstrate their submissiveness to God, not their defiance to the government. In these Examples that are in the Bible, right? They asked the Hebrew midwives to murder the children. They asked Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar built this big idol of himself and said, you, should on, you can only worship me. And if you don't, you'll be killed. And they said, no, we will not do it. And they were thrown into the fire. They were thrown into the furnace. And we know that God saved them. Daniel, the same thing. King Darius says, for 30 days, no one prays to anybody but me. And Daniel says, no, I will pray to God. 
In that last case, the Sanhedrin said, no one preaches Christ. No one preaches the Gospel. And they said, no, we will. They submitted to God. It wasn't just defiance to the government. It wasn't defiance of authority. It was a submission to God, which is why they did that. But even in that disobeying, if you're forced to do that, you can obey up until that point. You obey up until the point where it's clearly against God. And it's only to be submissive to God. So, next. We are to honor those who are in authority. God calls us to do the opposite of fear, the opposite of rebellion. He calls us to respect and to honor. These people are put in their place to do God's work. They're here to protect us, right? To enforce the laws, to administer justice. They're here for our good, is what they're here. They're doing God's work. And verse 6 and 7 says this, Because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. God tells us we are to respect them, to honor them, to pay our taxes, right? They're doing God's work. They're here for our good. It's one of the ways that God shows his care and his love for us is through this, is through this government. I mean, think about how much how much peace we have because of the laws that are in place compared to other parts of the world, right? We don't worry about worshiping on a Sunday morning. We don't worry about having a a small group at our house. And in other parts of the country, these people would be taken off. They'd be thrown in prison. They would be uh, perhaps executed. They They would be punished in many different ways. And God has set this up here in America, and we don't have that. And so we're to honor and we're to respect. So the question becomes, do you honor those who honor is due? Do you respect those to whom respect is due? Or do you disrespect? And do you dishonor? What else are we to do? What else does God call us to do? He calls us to pray for those who are in authority. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1-12 through 12 says this, First of all, then I urge that supplications prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we're to pray for those who are in authority, right? We're to pray, we're to intercede, we're to offer thanksgiving to God. And you know, sometimes we don't know how to pray for specific people. We don't really know, you know, what they're going through, what are the meetings, what are the decisions making, what are these things. But here, he says that we're, we can still pray for them so that those decisions that they make, those things that they do that affect us, might enable us to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So if you don't know what they're going through and you want to pray for them, pray that these decisions that they make will let us lead a peaceful, quiet, godly life. So, How do we tie this into the gospel? Because this whole series is the gospel for real life. First of all, if we're going to tie it into the gospel, we need to remind ourselves of what the gospel is. And verses 8 and 10 say, The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we evaluate ourselves. Who here can say I have fulfilled the law completely? Who here can say I have loved my neighbor as myself completely? Who can say I've done no wrong 
to anyone at all? And the answer is, no one can. Therefore, we are all sinners. But as we look to Christ, we see that Christ did this, right? Where we failed and where we sinned and where we rebelled against authority and we dishonored and disrespected and where we refused to humble ourselves, he didn't. He didn't fail. He didn't sin. He didn't fear authority. He wasn't disrespectful and dishonors. He wasn't rebellious about him. But he humbled himself. He fulfilled the law completely to show his love for us completely. He loved us as sinners. He loved us as failures. He loves us as rebellers. He loves us as those who refuse to humble ourselves before authority. He loves us as those who deserve to have God's wrath poured on us. He loves us who deserve hell. And he took God's wrath upon himself. And he paid the penalty for our sin and he paid the penalty for our rebellion. And he took our sins and he gave us his righteousness. So God now looks at us as people who are righteous, people who are holy, people who um, will enter the kingdom of God as sons, as heirs. And we are his children. We're forgiven. We're accepted. We're loved. Jesus fulfilled the law completely to show his love to us completely because he loved us completely. So that's the gospel, right? How do we tie this into this authority? We can do this in a couple of ways. But what are the things that we deal with when we think about this authority, right? Fear often comes in. Anger often comes in, right? Where we're frustrated about it. And so if we're just looking at fear, first of all, right? There's so much fear that comes with government. And we fear for who's going to be president, and we fear for our children who are following us before, right? And we, we have this fear that goes in there. We fear the, who's going to be president, who's going to be Congress, who's going to be in the Supreme Court, who's going to be making these, making these decisions. Most of these people probably aren't Christians who are making these decisions for us. And lots of times it's the anger, right? We just get mad. We just get frustrated. We just, uh, it just frustrates us to no end, these decisions that they're making or the way that they're doing these things. And so we get this anger and this fear that goes in there. And we need to confront these things when we have it. When we see this fear and we see this anger, we need to confess it as sin. We need to say, this is sin. And I need to confess it before God. And God in heaven is faithful and just, and he will forgive my sin. So we recognize it as sin. We ask God to forgive us our sins as sin. The other thing that we need to do during this time is really look and see who God is, right? Who really makes the final decisions on where this country is going? Is it us as voters? Is it the president? Is it the politicians? Or the, is it the judges on the Supreme Court? Who is the ultimate authority? Who is the king of kings? Who is the lord of lords? Who is in control of all things? Who is sovereign? It's God, right? God is sovereign over all things. He is completely in control. He brings up kings and he takes them down. He brings up nations and he takes them down. And so he is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is in control. And so just think about how this operated in Jesus Christ's life. Because lots of our times our fear is about a corrupt government. Or government that's making bad decisions and sending us you know, down the financial uh, drain. Or making bad decisions about things that are happening overseas. And so we fear this corrupt government. Or we get angry at any type of corruption that's, that's in there. 
And so that fear and that anger will take hold. So think about Jesus Christ's life, right? It was a corrupt time at that time. The Jewish leaders were corrupt. They were under Rome, and we can see the corruption that takes place there as well. They're, they're obviously not Christians, right? So the Jewish leaders file false charges against Jesus. And in the court case, they bring in false witnesses to lie about what Jesus had done. The whole court case was rigged from start to finish. And then they wanted to condemn him to death, but they couldn't do it under their law, so they appealed to a higher law. They went to Rome, the Roman law, to get him to die. And so they take him to Pilate. And so Pilate talks to him. Pilate says, this man is innocent. And he goes out and tells the people, this man is innocent. And they say, crucify him anyway. And so Pilate goes in and he comes back out a second time. He says, this man is innocent. I find him innocent of everything. And they say, crucify him. And Pilate comes back a third time. He says, he's innocent. There is nothing guilty in this guy. And they say, crucify him anyway. And so here we have in a layer of authority, right? We would have, we'd have Jesus, then we'd have like the Jewish leaders, and then we'd have like the Roman leaders who's above him. And these people are all saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate is the one who makes the decision, right? He says, I find him, I find him innocent and he should free him. But instead, that corruption takes place and what they want, he does. He's more afraid of the people than he is of doing right. Or he's more concerned about, their, about them than he is about doing right. And so he caves in, right? And he lets a man who he knows is guilty of murder go free. And he takes a man who's totally innocent, Jesus Christ, and he kills him. Even though he's innocent. How much more corrupt can you possibly get? Every government in place at that time was corrupt. Every leader in that time, well, not everyone, I guess you can say, but these ones that the story is talking about, right, they're corrupt. The leaders are corrupt. It's totally clear. And yet God put them all in place. God says there is no authority except the ones that came from me. There's no authority in place except the one that comes from me. God is sovereign, sovereign over all things. And because of God's sovereignty, working through this government, Jesus Christ was crucified. And because he was crucified, because he died, we today live. Because he was condemned for his sins, we are not condemned for our sins. See, God has the big picture. We don't have the big picture. God is sovereign over all things that are present and all things that are in the future. And so he raises up kings. He raises up presidents. He raises up all of these authorities because he's sovereign and he has a plan. And so when we think about our country, when we think about our government, don't fear. Don't become angry. Realize that God is sovereign. That's not a call to not do your civic Duties. That's not a call to not vote. That's not a call to not pay taxes. That's not, a, that's not a call to when you see something wrong and you can take action, take action. This is all part of it. Do these things. But don't give in to fear. Don't give in to anger. Go back to the gospel and go back to God's sovereignty and see that he is in control of every single thing that happens. The president doesn't determine our final outcome. The government doesn't determine our final outcome. The courts do not determine our final outcome. God himself determines our final outcome. And our final outcome is the forgiveness of our sins. It's this imputation of Jesus Christ's righteousness. 
our final outcome is eternal life. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign over everything. That you are sovereign over governments, Lord. That you are sovereign. You put these people in place for our protection, Lord. And even when they uh, throw out what they're supposed to do, you are even sovereign over that. Their disobedience, their failure, their sin, you are still sovereign over all things. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to submit to authority because you put authority there. Help us to submit authority not because we think they're better or smarter or more right, but because you put authority above us. And you call us to humble ourselves. You call us to obey authority you call us to obey you. So Lord, let us do that. And Lord, I just thank you for your sovereignty. Lord, I thank you for your work through a corrupt system that brought us life. That brought us eternal life. That brought us forgiveness. That brought us in heaven. Lord, we thank you. In your precious and holy name, amen.